Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, fellow podcast listener. You listen to podcasts. I listen to podcasts. We're twinsies. I'm your host, Alan Seals, and our guest for this episode is Robin Herder, who you may have uh, have seen recently, of course, in that little show called Moulin Rouge. She was Nini and got her a Tony Award nomination for that phenomenal performance. I saw the show several times and was just blown away by her performance every time. So she, of course, is going into A Beautiful Noise, the Neil Diamond musical this fall. And uh, as I'm recording this intro, they just started rehearsals. And warning, though, as we recorded the interview, as you'll hear, my voice is a little bit different because I was still getting over COVID. We recorded it uh, a few weeks ago. So my voice isn't back to where it should be during the interview. So there you go. You got it. Robin is such an awesome person, and I'm truly happy to see that she's finally getting the attention down center stage that she deserves. She's one of the leads now uh, coming up, as I mentioned, in A Beautiful Noise, and God, I cannot wait to see it. She is so fun to talk to. Connect with me online on Instagram and Twitter, theater underscore podcast, on TikTok at the theater podcast, and uh, leave a rating, leave a review, you know, do what you do. And now everybody, please enjoy this episode with Robin Herter. Today's guest is truly one of my favorite people. She just seems so incredibly nice. She may be best known for originating the role of Nini in Moulin Rouge the Musical, which earned her a Tony Award nomination. The pure embodiment of a triple threat past Broadway credits include Chicago, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, The Wedding Singer, Grease, nice work if you can get it. And she just recently finished originating the role of Marsha Murphy in the world premiere of A Beautiful Noise, the Neil Diamond musical, which is now set to transfer to the Broadway, beginning previews on November 2nd at the Broadhurst Theater. Robin Herter, welcome to the Theater Podcast. What an introduction. My face already hurts from smiling. Why, thank you. Well, okay, you want to smile? All right, so I'm going to kick in real quick to a little icebreaker here. Let me let me share my screen, and uh, I just want to play a little memory for you here. Here we go, hold on. <laughs> I am old school and I stuff my turkey. I, I, I jam her. I do not do the aromatics. I don't do any. I put the stuffing in the turkey. You do. Hold on one second. Stay. Stay. <laughs> Stay. Don't you fall down, girl. Oh, she's falling. Ah! I'm picking up quick, quick. <laughs> All right. So. <laughs> cannot write that shit <laughs> like i was blessed by the content gods that evening that so for those listening and not watching uh that was thanksgiving 2020 where what was a 10 pound turkey how big was that turkey oh, it was 24 pounds 24 pound turkey in a bag fully brined fell off your kitchen counter and burst after I had an entire bottle of wine. After you had an entire bottle of wine. So this was going to be my nice little icebreaker moment because the things that, that 
people may not know about you, or maybe they do now, is that you like wine, you like to cook, and you have an incredibly understanding husband who continues to mop up your kitchen while you continue to live stream on the internet. Literally, like, I, he did not want to be on camera, but the, <laughs> he was silent, and he he was so upset but still understanding at the same time he is he is truly amazing just like i'm and i i think there's one part in there that i'm, I'm barefoot and i'm like tap dancing in turkey juice like i'm a disaster like that <laughs> was, it, it was a it was a, a trash bag you had a, a it, it was a full trash bag of brine and 24 pound turkey that literally burst on your kitchen floor it was like five gallons of liquid and it just went everywhere. And it just, in, in like turkey juice is kind of greasy because there's a yeah. lot, you know, I just, it took forever to clean. And then I had to do it all over again. It was, <laughs> I mean, that was. Oh, you still, was, you still had to make the turkey again because that was your actual Thanksgiving yeah, turkey? I did, brine, I did the brine all over again. Oh. I mean, thankfully I had, I had enough of the ingredients, but I had to do it all over again. I mean, it, it's it's historic. Was was he? Um, did you laugh about it after the fact, or was he angry with I, you? He wasn't. He no. He wasn't angry with me. He was just very quiet. Like it's not what he wanted to do at on a Tuesday night at midnight. So live on on the internet. Yeah, and it's and I. But I'm like, babe, you just gotta you gotta go with it. Like I was just. <laughs> I love you. I love you. I love you. <laughs> the show. Because I still have to do the show. The show must oh, go on. Man. Obviously, I still am getting over my own COVID experience, and I want to throw my my hat off. I'm wearing a hat. I'm not going to throw it off, but I want to metaphorically throw off my hat to you and the performers. And I, I remember when um, uh, when March 20th, it was 2020, when Broadway shut down. Earlier that day, Moulin Rouge had already canceled performance. Oh, yeah. the performance. Yeah, we were ground zero. Yeah, we you actually you blame it on Tam Mutu. <laughs> <laughs> Who played the dude? We always blame it on him. that he's the one that started COVID and he shut down the world because he was the one that had like symptoms, mind you, like five other people before, like in February, January, February, were out with this mysterious sickness that they were testing negative for the flu, but they tried to come back to work and then they couldn't work because they were just so weak and fatigued, yeah. and you know. So it was already in the company, and then we all we all got it, like. I tested positive um, March 16th and that um, was a deuce. That yeah. Was a well, that, that's what I was going to say was that, I mean, before, before vaccinations and boosters and everything, like you guys got it and I've been double vaxxed and boosted. And this was my first time getting it this past week mm -hmm. or last week. And it knocked me out. And, and at my age and uh, I'm 41, right. Still, I'm almost there. Yeah. And, <laughs> Like I, you know, I, I do the opening number of Moulin Rouge as a morning routine just because I can. Right. You know, and, and I've got the, I'm like getting out of bed high kicks like Robin Herder. What am I, what else am I going to do with my morning? And I cannot freaking imagine you guys having to do that eight shows a week coming back after all that fatigue. What, how, how do you, how physically do you power through that? Um, it was so when we when we did the reboot when broadway came back and then we all got hit with it again <laughs> in december of 2021 yes yeah. december 2021 omicron um she wiped out our company again um 
coming back from that in the new year, uh, you know, it's a, it's a double whammy because your lungs, I feel like we all have kind of like scar tissue in our lungs from coughing from the first round. Yeah. Um, not being able to really have your full breath and then also like slap a corset on you. It's just like, it's, it was pure hell. Um, trying to go back and you just you have to build your stamina up all over again and it's even harder because you've got this restriction in your chest and you're still coughing up mucus and all that stuff i have to say the omicron one it was not that bad for me it was like a day you know um i didn't feel well but i still had to be out of work for 10 days um or back then was it 10 or 14 i can't remember it was 14 back then still yeah but um this past um, this past round, that's right, folks. I have gotten it three times. <laughs> I'm so good at it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> should be a special on uh, my special skills on my resume. Um, this one was so weird, um, during, cause again, it's like every show they get wiped out and, uh, we had to stop production for about a week in previews in Boston for a beautiful noise. And, um, I was the the latecomer to the party. Everyone got it. And I was praying every day. I was like, just let me get it. Just let me get it now while I'm off. And then, of course, we opened and then I got it. I was the only one that um, got it late. And it was fine. And then I came back to the show and that was very difficult for me to go back because I'm, I'm, I sing a lot of high shit in the show, um, especially at the end of Forever in Blue Jeans. So it was a constant challenge, but I felt okay. But then it kept coming back. I've I've been sick off and on for a solid two months. Ugh. And I still and I still have this weird spot on my uh, like sore throat. I just went to the ENT yesterday, so my cords are fine. I got Good. scoped for the first time and it was terrifying. I almost passed out. But um cords are fine. But it's still like this is a little bit. She is she is lingering. I hope it's not this way for you. I hope you get better fast. But it's weird. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, for me, my, my head feels okay. My body feels okay. And, and it's just like my throat and I've got this constant like faucet of, of mucus that yes. is just like coming out of both ends of my nose, you know, the yeah, front and I the back. And that's, yeah, that's the thing. It was It's this constant drippage in the back of the throat. Oh, it's awful. I'm sorry. Well, welcome to the COVID podcast with Alan Seals. Uh, <laughs> wonderful to have you. We're talking about COVID for the rest of the year. No. Uh, so we'll get into beautiful noise because I'm super, super excited to hear about that. But I want to back up a second and, and learn about Wyndham, Maine, which is oh where you, you grew up. Yeah. I grew up. Yep. I grew up in Wyndham, Maine. Um, I Well, I moved to Maine. Uh, when I was six, we first moved to Scarborough. And then when I was 11, we moved to Wyndham. And my parents are still there in the same house. Um, and it's a great place to, to grow up. Very small town, simple. People are nice in Maine. You know, it's, uh, I'm very grateful to be able to call it home. So where did the, the, the love of performing or the start of performing, where did that all start marrying its way into your life? And, and I guess, did you start with dancing? Was that number one? Yeah, my um, my mom was was pretty awesome that she um, always would put on all different kinds of genres of music, whether it was ABBA, classical music, um, rock. And of course, she loved show tunes. Um, nobody in my family is artistic, like into the, you know, musical theater arts. Um, but 
as a small kid, I was wild. Like I was just such a spaz and all I would do is dance around the house. And it's so funny. I get so annoyed with my own son, Hudson. And then I look at him, I'm like, oh, right. That was me. Yep. <laughs> it's totally, I'm looking at myself. Um, so she just decided to just throw me in dance class. She's like, she, she dances all the time, but she's so chaotic. Just do something with her, like organize it. <laughs> so I liked it. Um, and then she took me to see cats in Portland, Maine. And I was, I was like, sign, sign me up. I'm sold. That's what I want to do. Um, and that was when I was like seven, I think I saw it. And, um, yeah, I just kept going with dance. I, I fell in love with it. Um, and then when I was 12, when we moved to Wyndham, that's when I really knew that I needed to like have more ballet training. So I switched my dance schools. I went to Maine State Ballet, um, till I was 18. Um, and that's where I really just got my dance foundation there. Um, really focused on ballet, almost kind of gave up. I didn't give up tap and jazz, but, um, I really focused on my technique and I'm very glad I did that, even though I really didn't really love ballet. <laughs> um, but yeah, it wasn't until I was about 16 that I started, uh, taking voice lessons and really, um, like doing little community theater productions. And it was when I was 18, my uh, community theater Portland players, um, Ed Reichert was the director of Jesus Christ Superstar. And he gave me the role of Mary Magdalene. Mm. And then I quit, I quit ballet. I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to be a, it was like my first taste of like being a star, like a, you know, like a principal, like I, I was a star of the show. And uh, that was it. That was, that was my, uh, Growing up in Maine, just like you know, cats is a is a very dangerous gateway drug. Because uh, really, because you can either it can make you either even want to go dancer or or singer, which are two equally dangerous and and hard professions, or do both, which is what you've ended up doing. Um, it's <laughs> it's very funny. Uh, so you start started dancing, and then um, do you think at that point? You wanted to continue, you said you didn't like ballet very much, but before you started taking voice lessons at 16, I guess, did you know you wanted to do musical theater or more traditional dance? Yeah. Like what was, what was the end goal originally? I wanted to be a star on Broadway. Like I just was like, I don't, I don't want to be, I, I want to work my way up. I'm a classic goat Capricorn. I like to take, I like to climb up the mountain. I don't want to just like get there. I want to go on the journey and learn as I go. Um, never, I do. I, it's so true. I do. Climbing up the mountain. I like to take my staircase. Um, I, I, I always wanted to do it, but I knew I just, I dance was always my first love. And um, I knew I, I was a very, very dedicated hard worker and I knew that to stand out when I wanted to finally audition in New York I needed to have the proper technique um not just a jazz dancer even though that was what I really loved to do when it was really when I saw my first Broadway show was Damn Yankees um <laughs> told the story a million times but I don't get sick of it um I it was starring B.B. Newworth as Lola and uh when she came out of the ground in a on a chaise lounge chair and pink bustier and garter belts. And I, I just said to my mom, I'm like, that's what I want to do when I grow up. And she's like, okay, honey, yeah, that was a love. <laughs> and I did it. <laughs> I'm on stage wearing a bustier and garter belts <laughs> being bent in half and do, you know, living my dreams. So did, did your parents 
uh, show a lot of support initially? I mean, you kind of joked around that they were like, all right, yeah, sure, Robin. But were they like, you need to get a fallback or you need to go all in? Or did they, were they indifferent? No, you know what? They, um, they're so amazing. They never, they never, ever said anything about a fallback. They never pressured me going to school uh, after I graduated high school, even though I, I did end up going. I, you know, I auditioned around. I, I could have gone to Boston Conservatory or AMDA or Marymount, Manhattan, um, but I ended up <laughs> going to University of New Hampshire because I'm a normal person and I really <laughs> just, I wanted to party and like be take a little like step away from the parents but not too far um and i did the theater program there for a little bit but uh i just my second year my sophomore year i told my mom i said i think i made a mistake and i need to go to new york i i there's a there's a week of auditions can i just skip school and just try it i'm so sick of just sitting in a room uh, having people critique me about my auditions. I just want to like do it so I can learn that way. And she said, go right ahead. And I did. And I got all the jobs except one, like I got five job offers that week because I was just an asshole. I I didn't know any better. I was just like, we Broadway. Like it's just, (laughs) oh, um, like ignorance is bliss kind of thing. Like I was, you know, I was 19 years old and, um, I asked my mom, can I take one? She says, of course go like this is what you want they always believed in me my parents always they never ever doubted my decisions like all through my teenage years i was so aggressive in a sweet way you know (laughs) but i was so aggressive and determined um with everything i did with the arts with with ballet with taking voice lessons with getting into the community theater uh area or you know what i mean like i just they never ever doubted me and thank god they never they were just such a supporter but they saw me on stage and it was really when i was on stage performing in my dance recitals my parents were like you're you're special like i know you're my daughter but we can't take your eyes we can't take our eyes off you <laughs> like you know they're so i think they just they trusted me and they still do you know everything everything that i i get what i audition for what i want to do what i don't want to do they are have always been so supportive always have you have you ever taught do you teach young kids i that was my only job in high school really? is i taught dance and i and i yeah and i'm good at it i i really do love teaching um and i've t- i've taught a few uh you know master classes here i've gone to workshops but it was not lately. I haven't done it probably. Well, I did it a lot, I did it a lot during COVID. <laughs> during well, the, the, shutdown. The, reason, the reason I ask is because, I mean, I've seen, I saw Moulin Rouge with you in it several times. And, um, and you're right. Like even with the, with the, the tango number aside, where obviously you're just, just two of you on stage, but mm-hmm. in an ensemble, you're, the eye is drawn to certain people for certain reasons. And I can always pick Robin Herder out of the ensemble. I can always pick you out of a crowd because there, there's, like your parents were saying, yeah, you're our daughter, but there's something special. There's an it. They always talk about, you hear about the it factor or whatever the case is. So when you're, when you're teaching, when now at this point in your career, Tony nominated, you're originating now your second role and like you're at this great place in looking back, we're talking about young Robin where you're like, all I want to do is be on stage and do this and this. And now you've done it and you're doing it. So how are you translating that back to to te- can that be taught? Are you translating this back? Because there's like there's people doing the moves and there's people embodying the moves, and I that's right. that's distinctly different. And I don't know how I would not know how to teach that. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think that, uh, when you say like something like I always, when I'm, when I'm outside an audition door, um, and it's the worst, I hate auditioning. I have to, I always breathe. And I always say, Robin, you're special. Like, just remember that. And, um, it's not, I, I would, I don't want to say it's not something that can be taught. I just think that if you have the capability of truly, truly believing in yourself and really, really wanting it so bad, it can happen. I, I truly believe that. Um, and when it comes to like dance and movement and being on stage, I always say this, like in my classes, when I do teach, I said, you know, you do steps to counts, you dance to music. Mm. So, um, and that's usually what I really focus on and, and what really gets me jazzed no pun intended when I do teach classes and I see the kids or, you know, or young adults when it switches, where they listen to the rhythm of the lyric or the, the baseline and they start dancing to that. That's how I've always been with dance. And that's why I never used counts. I'm always like, Ooh, God, did that, you know, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. You can teach it in a way that like you can let them relax, let their hair down and let them actually go into the music and feel it that way. Then you're actually truly like expressing your true self rather than just doing steps. Does that make sense? Uh, yes. And and I, my silence came from the fact that I was trying to figure out if I wanted to ask you about LSD and psilocybin. <laughs> I literally when people are people are on uh when they're tripping or they're on psilocybin or whatnot they've unlocked these this extra perception in their brain right and people who are blind take acid and report seeing colors and people who are who are are deaf can hear like, like it, it it just reactivates all these all the other different parts of you so when you're talking about dancing to music in a way that's not count based it's not rhythm based you're feeling your music in a way i was i was just going to ask you i was like it, it's it's i think you would be amazing like doing an ayahuasca journey and and <laughs> choreographing a dance or doing doing something where you, you've like a super high just on pot which is legal here in new york and uh and just choreographing going so far down the emotional rabbit hole of feeling the music and just seeing what comes out Oh, well, I mean, I could, but dance <laughs> music is kind of the drug itself when they're combined, like, like it, like with, okay, with Cassie, with the dance break, there's a certain, there's a certain uh, part in the, uh, the dance where you're dying. Like I, it's like, I'm going to piss my leotard cause I'm so tired and I feel like my legs are going to give out, but there's this moment where you've just done this menage around, you do this big circle and then you do this big jump and then you put your arms up and you put your arms down and this whole stage turns red and it's called heat wave. And there's a few moments, well, it's, it was every night in New York city center um, that I, it's like, it's outer body. Like, I don't even know it. The, the music and the lights and the stage and you can feel the energy of the audience behind you it literally tr it 
transports me into a different world where I start to forget about the fatigue and the pain that I'm going through at that moment because I've been dancing for six minutes now. Um, that is like a drug to me. I don't do drugs, so I don't really know what it feels like. <laughs> I mean, I do drink a lot, but I just... <laughs> I'm not a I'm not a drug girl. Um, but that to me, it's so euphoric that uh that's how I, I guess that's how I would think it would be to be on drugs. It sounds like sounds like your version of runner's high. Yes. Yeah. And there's like moments in Roxanne, like when I am being oh, man, I mean it's again so painful and I'm so tired. And I'm just but when I'm like being flipped up so the boys are throwing me up in the air, slamming me down on the ground, taking my leg, dragging me across the floor, and you just hear this music. You hear all the violins and you're just, it's like, there's nothing better than than that kind of high. Mm -hmm. It's it's crazy. I mean, it was very painful, but um, I'm so grateful. Well, that I get to, yeah, that, that's and I got to feel that every single night. Someone asked me literally yesterday, they're like, they're, why Why is theater important? Like just general, open question, why is theater important? And I was like, storytelling, dancing, and singing are some of the oldest forms of, uh, of communication. And to add on to that, what you just said, I think is probably some of the oldest form of, of dopamine release, right? Of chasing that high, of, 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 get, oh, yeah. of getting that, validation of like you know edge of my seat edge of my seat horror story ah, oh, oh we're, we all went in this journey together let's do that again that felt so good right yeah and then and and the thing is we're hum we're not watching it on a screen we're human bodies yeah. and I, I don't think people understand just how powerful and important energy is between humans oh, yes. and that's really why i perform it's i love human connection like i love look i just love talking i love I'm, I'm very straightforward i'm very transparent and authentic like you will always get me i don't ever put up a front and i think that's also a reason a reason why maybe people are attracted to me on stage is because i am especially in moulin rouge i'm looking into your damn soul like <laughs> i will grab your eyes or in chicago you know you can break that fourth wall in shows like that but even even in um any other show i've done it's always about the audience and that type of of live human energy connection that just keeps rotating bouncing back and forth bouncing back and forth we're making the audience feel something and that energy vibrates and that comes back at us and it's just like fuel and you just keep bouncing back and forth i mean it's a pretty awesome job to have I yeah I, I agree with that and it it's hard work but the reward is is so incredible I I, I mean I've said it feel good like yeah. you're making people feel good yeah especially in the next show I'm about to do well let's let's pivot there I think uh, a beautiful noise the Neil, <laughs> beautiful noise Neil Diamond musical um like tell me about how you got involved in the first place because it was originally announced in 2019 and then the pandemic came 2020 in March, shut down Broadway. Were you already part of readings, workshops, like the secret stuff while you were still in Moulin Rouge? Nope. Really? I was, I, I had heard about it and I was like, cool. I had a couple of friends that did some of the workshops and they were like, you know, Robin, this is going to be a really, a really good a really good show the music's the, the arrangements are amazing and i was like oh cool but 
am I like the biggest Neil Diamond fan? Well, now I am. But like before, it's like it's the classic. Oh, yeah, my parents love him. And I and I know a couple songs. Um, But I never (laughs) a million years would think that I was going to have my biggest role to date in the Neil Diamond musical (laughs) ever. Um, I wasn't a part of it at all. I had left Moulin Rouge in February of this year, and um, I was chilling out. I had a couple things planned for the summer. Um, And then uh, it was mid-April, and I got called in. Oh, hold on. Let me back up this because this is very funny. Um, I actually did audition for it, and it was for the the Ellie uh, Greenwich and Rose part, um, which is, you know, a Brooklyn. Ellie is a Brooklyn uh, record producer and and uh, Rose is Neil Diamond's, you know, Yiddish mother. <laughs> and I was like, this is not correct. But my agents were like, no, I think this is the right move. You know, but we didn't know what the musical is about. And I was like, I just don't think I'm a 50-year-old Jewish mother. <laughs> and <laughs> and I went in. I was a good sport. And I went in. And it was the most, the weirdest audition. I was like, as I left the room, I was like, bye. And I just like kind of with my tail between my legs. And I just like ran out of the, I was like, that was so wrong. Anyway, cut to, that was July of 2021. One. Yes, cut to April of 2022. Uh, I get an email that says a beautiful noise and I roll my eyes. I'm like, if they are going to call me back in for this, like, I'm just not right. It's it's embarrassed. Like, I can't do it. Like, I can't do a Jewish, act, like a Yiddish accent. It was, it was terrible. Anyway, then I see that it's for Marsha Murphy. And then I call up my friend. I'm like, hey, is this the role that you said I should be doing like a, like a couple years ago? And she's like, yes, you'd be great for it. She sings this, this, this. So I go, I go in, um, and I, and I get the job. <laughs> um, and it, uh, rehearsals started two weeks later. It Whoa. was a last, yeah, it was a last minute replacement. I thought you had left Moulin Rouge to do, to do this with this knowing it was coming. So that's no, no, I didn't. I actually left because I, I, I speak about this openly. I actually left Moulin Rouge because I was, I was pregnant. And oh. then I had to leave immediately um, because, you know, corsets. And uh, and then sadly, I did have a miscarriage. So I just kind of laid low and I was like, well, I have a couple, you know, gigs in the summer. I'll just chill out. And then this happened. And I just have to like, you know, throw your hands up to the universe and be like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll get in. I'll take the ride. And, you know, I'm just kind of going with it. And it's been, it's been such a, an incredible experience working on this show. Like it's, it's really, it's just like, it's a gift. You, you don't understand why things happen in your life at that moment. And then you don't even realize that you've been given another kind of gift. Um, my other love, you know, I love family. That's, that's my number one, but I'm also like, I can't survive without this. You know, this is part of my blood as well. Um, so, it's just an amazing opportunity and I'm really, really grateful. And it came, it just came out out of the blue. It literally like fell into my lap uh, out of nowhere. And I was like, Neil diamond. (laughs) Okay. I know those, those words. Yeah, Yeah, I know. So yeah. And now, and now I cannot believe, I cannot believe cause that audition felt like two weeks ago and we're about to start. I'm, 
going to start rehearsals in like three weeks. So two and a half weeks. So and he's been part of the rehearsal process too. Like so, you're singing Neil Diamond to Neil Diamond while he's sh- shaping the Neil Diamond show. Well, he 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 came in like he saw the, our last couple run throughs in the studio, um, and he's the sweetest, most adorable man. Um, so supportive. Uh, it was pretty surreal sitting on the side watching him watch Will sing his songs and he's singing along with him. It's just, I'm like, what, what is happening? Wow. You know, it's just, it was really, it's, it's these moments that you're like, how did I get here? And then you call your mom and your dad. You're like, mom and dad, I, I don't have to wear corsets anymore. <laughs> just, I, my, my butt is covered now. <laughs> so. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, and, and I guess, so Marsha Murphy is the character that you play, which is Neil's second, second wife. So what is the significance of Marsha, of the second wife in Neil's life? Because I, I don't know, like you, I, I know his music. Of course, I can swing, sing Sweet Caroline because I'm a white guy who went to college. Um, <laughs> right. So, like, <laughs> everybody knows that song. But I don't know the facts of Neil's life, which is why another reason I'm really excited to see this show. And, and so I guess explain to me and, and listeners now, like, why why is Marsha one of the biggest characters here other than Neil? Um, it uh, So Marsha was his second wife, the, his longest marriage. Um, she was the one that really... Uh, didn't, not necessarily made Neil Diamond Neil Diamond, but she was extremely supportive and she saw something in him. And she was the one that got him out there and like really performing and kind of helped peel away all these layers of Neil and um, exposed the, the, the sequin clad performer extraordinaire man that we all know now. Um, and but with that, you know, she she helped support and push and create him. But with that, he you know grew and his, he was a massive you know superstar rock star. Um, and uh, he was always on the road. Um, and eventually, when you just don't spend time with that person, and this went on for decades, literally or like you know years um, of him being on the road, you know, the relationship suffers and. Uh, they parted ways in 94 after 25 years of marriage. Wow. Um, very amicable. Um, to be honest, there is not a whole lot of information on Marsha Murphy. She's a very private person. But what we do know is that she was always very supportive. And I think they still have a, a deep, deep love for each other. I mean, even Neil mentions, you know, mentions her in, you know, his past interviews that, um, she's worth everything that happened, you know, cause it was like a rumor that it's like the most expensive divorce in Hollywood. And he's like, it's not what you think, but she's worth every penny. Um, he owes like everything to her. Well, you, yeah. If, if she was the one who supported him and pushed him and made it, put him out there, then yeah, like she's half of the image that is Neil Diamond. Cause there's the person privately who poops and there's the public person who sings and, right. and earns tons right. of money. And the public and that person took over the person, you know, and that's one of my, the, my big number in the second act is forever in blue jeans. And that kind of explains that, that like, whatever money is money. And we're like flooded with money. But if I could have that or just be forever in blue jeans, you know, just be us when we first started where we didn't have any of this, obviously, you know, it's love or money. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode.
that's interesting because it brings me to, to one of my final things that that I know that you love and you're vocal about is your is your family and you've mentioned this multiple times and and something that I truly respect about about you and others like um, Kara Cooper and Jessica Rush is that you're so vocal about how freaking hard it is to be a mom and a Broadway star. It and, is. And and so for you, did you ever? I mean. I was going to say, did you ever feel like you had to choose? I'm sure that's every day. But at some point, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like with Moulin Rouge, as demanding as that is, when you have a newborn, you're missing bedtime and what that, like, how, how is that for you as a mom uh, um, trying to maintain your always growing career? Because Broadway is in theater and TV and film. Everything is just so up in the air. And then still trying to, to maintain that family. Um, I think every mother feels the same exact way that um maybe they don't maybe maybe some moms think that they're just nailing it all the time <laughs> um i think i'm a disaster uh but i it's because i care so much i love so fiercely and i'm also a perfectionist and i want to be perfect at everything and it's just not a reality so every day i think i'm failing at something i'm either being a crappy mom or i cracked on stage. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I, there's always this balance. I talk about these scales, um, and they're never, ever equal. They're never, they're never 50, 50 ones up, ones down. Um, and it's just constantly, um, trying to find the balance and to, to be very, very honest, I am, um, struggling with it the most right now. And for the next year I will be, um, I think as you get older, you know, I'm 40 and my son is getting so into soccer. Like he's really, really good. Hmm. And I'm going to be, I miss, I miss his games. I miss his practices. Um, and it's something that's so important to him. Um, that's like a, a, a knife in the heart and the gut and, you know, um, but he also, sorry, I'm all over the place. He also knows He's seen what I've done. He saw Moulin Rouge. He's seen, um, he saw Beautiful Noise in Boston. And I know he is so proud of me. And he's, he's, I, I hope that when he grows up, he's going to be like, my mom was such a badass. Like she just like went to New York, every single, New York City every single day. And she was like the star on Broadway. And she just like made a living for herself. And she gave me this amazing life um, because she's dedicated and she's a hard worker. And she, she, is following her passion. Um, but I am, uh, really getting nervous about leaving again because you get so used to being home mm -hmm. and it's even though I was in Boston for the summer, um, this is different. I will be, I, I will not see him after school at this point, you know, and I just, I'm going to see him in the morning for a second and then I have to go into the city. So I don't know. It's always, it's always, you're never going to, I'm never going to nail it. It's it's always trying to put the puzzle together correctly, um, and you just have to take it. I've said this from day one, the minute he was born, and I was like, I'm not good at this. But you, it's like one second at a time. Like You just have to, to put one foot in front of the other and take a deep breath and don't worry so much about what tomorrow is or what the next six months are going to be like or what next, you know what I mean? What the how, how are we going to figure out the holidays? It's just like, breathe pour yourself a glass and just deal with this moment at this time. And I think that's a, a healthy way to live. Sorry, that was a big tangent. No, no, I, it, it's perfect. And I think it's, it's spot on too, because I see this 
in my own family and with friends who are also parents, it's it's funny because as soon as you uh, like when I started having my children, all of a sudden all these like really scary sort of questions and stories and not scary in a bad way, just like wait a second, adults and parents don't have everything together. They don't have all the answers. I mean, I still remember that moment in high school when I was like, wait a second, I'm smarter than my parents. This is weird. Like, do you, you remember that moment, right? We're like, I can do these things better yeah. than my parents now. What the? And then, but that ended as, so as me, Alan, like uh, imposter syndrome, always trying to figure out how not to screw up. Like it's a fear of, of going through and making sure that I do do my best. While at the same time, my two kids think I'm a superhero and that, and that's the extra responsibility, right? Like just by being me, you know, they're like, daddy, can you lift? I bet daddy can lift that. Like the, the, my dad can beat up your dad thing. Like that, that is so true in their minds. Like that metaphorically, right? They, everyone thinks their dads are the best and their moms. Yeah. yeah, and I look at Hudson, and I, I look at him, and and I, I sometimes I get so scared because I'm like, I still feel like I'm a kid, <laughs> like yeah. I'm a kid raising a kid. <laughs> I'm like, how did my parent, you know? And now you you think back to like when you, when I was his age and how I looked at my parents, and I had no idea my parents had these worries that they we were this month we're low on money or how are we going to figure how are we going to pay for that? How it's like, holy crap, it's stressful. And then trying to do you know a career. Yeah, it's just, it's a it's a constant it's a constant uh, balance game. Yeah, um, well, and I just just keep showing him videos of dropping food off the kitchen counter, and like, look, um, mommy's not perfect. Mommy's not perfect, but mommy's always gonna love you. That's that's, that's, that's all. That's always got here. <laughs> he loved watching that. He laughs so hard. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> all right, so three. Closing questions I use to wrap up every episode. The first one just very simply is what motivates you? Oh my gosh. What motivates me? I, my, I, it's my family, you know, I just, my home life, I, I, I wake up every morning and I look at my house and my family and we're all healthy and it keeps me going. I'm like, it, it's like a drug and I'm like, Ooh, I'm going to keep working hard so I can have more of this. I like that. All right. So then the second question, what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now, starting out down a similar path? Oh, well, honestly, what I would say to my younger self is um, keep, keep doing what you're doing. I, I seriously, like I wouldn't have done it any other way. Looking back, I think I really had a good head on my shoulders. I didn't give a shit what anybody said. I was going to get what I want. And I, I had a, I, had a straight path forward and I'm doing it and I just keep, and I keep doing it. So I'm like, keep doing what you're doing, kid. Cause it's going to work. <laughs> um, and for, for people who, this is such a, this is the most difficult question to ask. Cause there's, you could talk about it for hours of like, what advice do you have for someone who's, you know, wants to be on Broadway, who wants to be in the arts, who wants to perform. And generally, my general advice is that there is only one you and don't try to be anybody else. It's very easy to walk into an audition room. And if it's a dance call, you're looking at every other girl. I never looked at the girls. I looked at myself in the mirror. (laughs) I literally, it's like, if you just, if you just focus on yourself and it's as cheesy as it sounds, if you truly believe 
you have something special like and you're you're gonna you're gonna show them i truly believe they it it reads they know an imposter when they see one they know when someone's desperate they know when someone is not being their true self if you just remain true to who you are and really really know what you want you're gonna be okay Mm. All right. So here's the hardest question. Last one. If you can only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Damn Yankees. That's a new one. I don't think I've ever heard that. Well, this is the thing. It was my first Broadway show. I saw Lola. I saw Baby New Earth. I was like, I, that's what I want to do. I love the music. I love the story. I wish that it needs to be rewritten, but I, it, it is my dream role. Like I need to do Lola on Broadway before I die. So someone needs to, I've been squawking this for like five years <laughs> someone needs to, 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 to zhuzh it up a bit, uh, make it appropriate, um, not make it, you know, so white. <laughs> and um, and uh, I don't know. I just love the music. I love, I love the, like, the production I saw, like, I just, I, I just love the show so much. Mm, wonderful. So where can we find a really hard question it is hard it is hard uh and and it's it's strange because answers have changed pre and post pandemic so people like really? b- before the pandemic it was mostly sweeney todd after the pandemic it's been much much um brighter happier things so it, it was funny because that was the turning point wow no i like i like uh i i want classic big band musical theater mm. i like to feel happy when i leave the theater so where can we find you on the social medias oh you can really instagram instagram's like my my website it's just robin herder it's <laughs> it literally is people are like do you have a website i'm like yeah it's called instagram <laughs> i made it it's cool facebook bought me I put, it, I put everything i put everything on there you know i'm very i'm an idiot <laughs> um but i like to mix it up i like to be you know i, I want to give humor mostly you know i look right. at instagram like candy it's like a candy <laughs> shop you know <laughs> well I, I have mean, yeah. Um, I'm on the theaterpodcast.com. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast uh, on Facebook for, you know, our parents slash official theater podcast. Um, rate and review. Spread the word. I'm on TikTok. I don't know what I'm doing there, but I'm on TikTok. Thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and the outro music. And Robin Herder, thank you so much. I apologize for my COVID voice and my COVID brain fog and my inconsistent ramblings. You've been incredible. Oh, <laughs> thank you this has been a lot of fun. Thank I loved you. it. Thank you. Thank you. And break so many legs. I'm looking forward to seeing the show when it opens on Broadway. Ah, thanks. Take a deep breath. Make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.